And uh, as we've said, we've been working our way through the book of Genesis on Sunday morning. And last week, we began the story of Abraham. And what we did last week was we took an overview of Abram's life and his journey of faith. And uh, today, we're going to begin looking a little bit more specifically as we go. Now, as we get into this today, I want to just highlight something. There in your outline, Paul the Apostle would write in the New Testament, he would say, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So the idea is that there are, these are more than just stories in the Old Testament. There's things that God wants to teach you and I, some things that we can look at and say, that applies to our lives. And so we're certainly going to see that in this story of Abraham, not just today, but as we travel through his journey and his, his uh, growing in, in faith. So this, if you study faith in the Bible, usually you begin with uh, the man Abraham, or Abram, as we're going to meet him first. He'll become Abraham later. And uh, just a little bit of the timeline. You'll recall, if you've been traveling with us through our, our study, as we've been going through Genesis, you'll recall that Noah gets on the ark, and he goes through, and then after he gets off the ark, he lives another 350 years. Well, when Abram, Abraham, is born, Noah is still going to be alive for another 58 years. Noah knows Abram. And so Noah's son, Shem, uh, is also going to be the great-great-grandfather of Abram, who we're going to meet today. But Abram knows uh, Shem, Noah, and as we studied through the Tower of Babel, Nimrod, Abram knows him too. So just a little bit of the timeline there. He begins with the name Abram, which just means high father. It means he's a great leader. Later on, God will change his name, we looked at this last week, to Abraham, which will mean father of a multitude or father of nations. It's going to imply that he's going to have some children. He's going to be mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. He's called the father of faith. He's the one that we all point to. As a matter of fact, there on your outline, Paul would write to, in his letter to the Romans, he says, Abraham is the father of all who believe. And so his story is such a great story because his story is the prototype of what it means to grow and walk in faith. And uh, he's going to be the father of faith, but we're going to discover that he doesn't begin as the father of faith. His story is like our story in the sense that it's a journey. He will become the father of faith, but he, he doesn't start that way. He's going to make lots of mistakes. So as, as we get into this today, I need to ask a question just to make sure I'm speaking to the, the right group of people. Um, did, did you think that by this time in your spiritual walk and in your life that you'd be a little bit more spiritual than you are at this point? Did, did you think that you would have it a little bit more together by this time in your life? Or, or what about this? Did you think that by this time in your life, you wouldn't be making so many stupid mistakes? Am I the only one? <laughs> I am the only one. <laughs> now, we've all been there. And that's why this is such a great story for us today, because we're going to highlight the things that he goes through. And it's the same things that we all go through. And uh, so I, think, I think you're going to find that interesting today. Uh, Abram's going to become the father of faith. He's going to get some things right. He doesn't get everything right, but God's still growing him. God doesn't give up on him and the messages. He's not going to give up on you and me, even though sometimes like Abraham, we blow it. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 11 of Genesis. I'm going to go begin in verse 27. 
And as we get into this today, let me say that uh, unlike English, in Hebrew, names have meaning. And so sometimes understanding the meaning of the name helps to paint a picture. So we'll do a little of that today. So verse 27, chapter 11, it says, now these are the records of the generations of Terah. So I've underlined Terah. And Terah became the father of Abram. I've underlined that. Now he'll be Abraham later. And other sons are Nahor and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. So Abram's brother is going to give, as his son, is going to be Lot. Lot is going to be Abram's nephew. Verse 28, Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans, Ur of the Chaldeans. So let me put a a map up just to give some perspective You'll remember we talked about the Tower of Babel, and that's over there in Iraq, where it's called the Ur of the Chaldeans. And what we're going to see is they're going to travel up to Haran, which is north of Israel, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But let's look at the other map just to, just to give some quick perspective. Ur of the Chaldeans is over in Iraq, and uh, so when they travel, they're going to head up. So that's just a little bit of perspective. Now, interesting thing, there in your outline, I put Ur, and if you look that up in a Bible dictionary, it's going to tell you that Ur is the center of moon worship. And in Ur, they, they worship the moon. So Abram, he begins, and his family are moon worshipers, and there's a whole backstory there. But in that area, because they worship the moon there in Iraq, their symbol was a crescent moon. Do you know any other religion that would come from that part of the world whose symbol is a crescent moon? Well, there, there's a lot of connection. There's a lot of connection. Well, verse 29, it says, Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. We will know her as Sarah later on. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, and the father of Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was barren, and she had no child. As our story picks up, Sarai, when we get into chapter 12, she's going to be 65 years old. She is incredibly good looking, so much so that there's going to be two kings in the course of Abram's life who are going to try to take her uh, to, be, to be their wife. And so we'll see that. So she's at, as our story picks up in chapter 12, she's going to be 65 years old. She's beautiful. She's never had a child. And uh, so there's going to be this hole in her life. That's her, her great desire. She is also going to be Abram's half-sister. They're going to have the same father, but they're going to have different mothers. And we'll talk about that later on. So verse 31, it says, and this phrase is going to be very important, Terah took Abram his son. So you want to underline that. And Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. They don't enter. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. Now, when it says settled there, they're going to spend years settled. You know, you're not passing through. They're settled there. So that'll be important for our study. Verse 32, the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran, in Haran. So Terah will lead the family, let's put the map back up, from Ur of the Chaldeans there in Iraq all the way up to Haran, which is north of Israel, and he will not lead Abram into the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, but he will die there. Terah will die there in the land of Haran. That'll be important for our study as we go. 
So Abraham is the father of faith. He's also going to be the first person that we would consider Jewish, the first Jewish person. And uh, we're going to pick it up in verse t- chapter 12, verse 1. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country. By the way, that first line there, my translation says, the Lord said to Abram. How many of your Bibles say the Lord had said to Abram? Okay, that's good because that's what really uh, the way it should be. The Lord had said to Abram, go forth from your country and your relatives from your father's house to the land which I will show you. So God says, I want you to follow me and I will make you a great nation. That's the promise. And I will bless you. That's the promise. And your name, uh, and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, um, God says, I will bless you, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Last week, we mentioned how in the New Testament, Paul tells us that those of us who become believers receive the blessing of Abraham. So whatever God is saying to Abraham here is what he's saying to you and I as believers. And we'll be looking at that as we travel through the next few chapters. I did want to highlight something here. In verse 1, many of your Bibles will say this. There in your outline. Now the Lord had said to Abram. Lord had said to Abram. That's important because what you get in chapter 12 and the first three verses, we're told that whatever God says here, this is something that God has already said. And so God here is just repeating what he's already said. So when did God say this to Abram before? Well, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, In chapter 7, there's a man named Stephen or Stephen, depending on your translation, and he gives a sermon. And uh, in that sermon, he says this, there in your outline. He said, hear me, brethren and fathers, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. So what we're told in the New Testament is that God appeared to Abram all the way back when he was in Ur of the Chaldeans before he went to Haran. Uh, so, so many, many years ago, God had spoken to him. So God had told him many years ago, back when he was in Mesopotamia, leave your father's house, leave your relatives, follow me to the land that I will show you and I will bless you. So go ahead and write this down. Abram heard God's voice saying, follow me. Now, today we're going to find in chapter 12, Abram's going to be about 75 years old, or 75 years old. Many hold that that the first time that God spoke to Abram, he was probably about 50 years old. So it's it's a long, long time ago. So God said, follow me, but Abram didn't follow God. Notice in chapter 11, in verse 31, it says, Terah took Abram his son. So he doesn't follow the Lord when the Lord says, leave your father's house. Uh, He follows Terah, his dad. So what I want you to write down is that sadly, Abram followed the wrong relationship. It's the wrong relationship. Now in Hebrew, words have, or names have meaning. So when you look up Terah in a a, um, Hebrew dictionary, you're gonna get definitions like this. Terah means delay. Does everybody see that? 
and it means wandering, wandering. What we're going to find is that following Terah delay after God told him to leave is going to be a big delay in everything that God wants to do in Abram's life. So then you go to verse 31, um, verse, yeah, yeah, verse 31, let me read the last line of verse 31, and it says, they went as far as Haran and settled there. So uh, many hold that they were there many, many different years, or you know, 20 years or 25 years. Verse 32, it says, the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So they settle in Haran, he's following Terah, it just means a big delay. God says, leave this relationship, Terah, whose name means delay, leads the family after God said separate and leads them to Haran, Haran. Now, what does Haran mean? Well, there on your outline, Haran is just the Hebrew word for parched, parched. Does everybody see that? It's the Hebrew word for parched. So I want you to write this down. Following Terah, delay, left him in the place of being Haran or parched, parched. Abram is a believer, but right now, he's following the wrong relationship. He's in a relationship that God told him to separate from. He's not listening to the Lord, but he's listening, in this case, to this wrong relationship. In this case, it just happens to be his dad. I remember Abraham's 75 years old. We picked that up in, in chapter, so he's not like 13 years old. So he takes him, Terah Tara takes him to, uh, it's a delay, but he takes him to Haran, which just means parched. When God tells you to separate from a relationship and you don't, the only thing that it can do is delay what God wants to do in your life and lead you to the place where you're parched. We'd say parched spiritually. So when God calls you to let go, you want to let go so that you're not delayed in what it is that God wants to do. So sometimes there are people in our lives that God says you need to separate from. It's not your spouse, the person you're sitting next to. But there are people in our lives, and, and God will speak to us and say, you need to let go of that relationship, because as long as that relationship is influencing your life, it's just going to delay everything that God wants to do, and it's going to lead you to the place where you're parched, uh, we'd say spiritually dry. Now, verse 32 in uh, chapter 11, it says, the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, this is the part that we don't want to miss, and you'll write this down. God doesn't speak again until that relationship ends. God speaks to him in Mesopotamia. He doesn't follow the Lord, and it's not recorded that God says anything else until that relationship ends. Now, we're going to give Abraham a, blank, uh, a break here. He, he's new to the faith. He doesn't have a Bible. He can't read the stories. So he's kind of learning as he goes. Bible scholars suggest, and I want you to write this down, that Abraham burns up about 25 years following the wrong relationship. And so they put a couple of dots together and it seems to make about 25 years. So that's a chunk of life. That's a chunk of life following the wrong relationship, but he can't go forward into all that God has for him until that relationship ends. And again, God doesn't say anything. So the question is, he follows the wrong relationship. Uh, Terah means delayed. He goes to Haran, which means parched. The question is, is God mad at Abraham? Is he mad at you and I in the times that we've done that? 
Well, I would say no. Notice this verse there in your outline. Therefore, the Lord will wait, and he'll be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. So God's not mad, he's waiting. But many times what happens is we just burn through so much time in our lives. So it's not recorded that God speaks to Abram again until that relationship ends. So if, if, if I'm in a place where I'm not hearing, uh, I'm not hearing from the Lord, maybe I'm in that place where I'm becoming parched, uh, I want to ask the question there in your outline, ask what's the last thing God said? Take care of that, and you'll be surprised to see how quickly God begins to speak. We're going to pick it up in chapter 12. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives. We're going to find that Lot is going to be one of his relatives. And from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. That's the promise. That's the promise. And I will make your name great. You know, it's interesting if you read a commentary on this. When it says, I will make your name great, the name Abraham is considered to be the greatest name in, in world history. Now, you and I would say, well, it's Jesus. Yes, but in world history, uh, it's, it's, it's Abraham because it's Jewish people and it's Christians and it's Muslims who all point to Abraham. So God really makes his name great. So he says, and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So you want to write down that when God gives this promise to Abraham, this blessing, this promise, this promise is going to be unconditional. God doesn't say, I'm going to do this as long as you do this. None of, there's no conditions here. God just says, I'm doing this. But to see this promise take place in his life, we would say to activate the promise Abraham has to, and you want to write this down, all Abraham has to do is believe and do what God says. And what we're going to find is he struggles early on believing and doing what God says. It leads to a great delay and being parched. Well, the good news is it gets back on the path. We're going to pick it up in verse 4. It says, and Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. You want to underline that? Uh, now, Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, parched. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew. And I've underlined that. Two times he's going to tell us that. And all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set for the land of Canaan. And thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. Now when we get to chapter 14, we're going to talk about why that's so significant that they tell us that the Canaanites are in the land. And it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating story at that point. But at this point, sadly, Abram takes Lot, his nephew. And uh, so we don't miss it. The Holy Spirit makes sure it's written down two times so we can't miss it. You get the sense that Abram is reasoning here. And he says, I know the Lord says I've got to let go of my, my nephew. has got to go his way. I've got to go my way. But here's the thing. His dad has died. Um, and, and my dad has died. His grandfather has died. I'm his uncle. I'm the only relative that he has. I, I can't just leave him. I mean, you know, he, he needs me now. So I know what God says, but here's what, I, you know, I just, I just can't leave him now. 
And what we find here is that at this stage of Abram's growth, his walk of faith, what he is doing is he's putting his reasoning over God's word. His reasoning over God's word. God said, let him go. The reason God said, let him go, is because God can see the future. Abram can't see the future. As we travel through this story, we're going to find that this decision to take his nephew, when God says, let him go, is going to be the decision that will ultimately lead to the ruin of Lot and his entire family. It's just gonna bring destruction into the whole family. When God says, let them go, it's because he can see the future. I have in my notes, sometimes we need to learn to trust that the God who took care of them before we showed up is the same God that will take care of them when we have to step out. And that's hard for Abraham at this point. He doesn't believe that God can take care of him, so he's stepping in. Well, we pick it up in verse seven. We're going to see that he's gonna have a growing heart of worship. And it says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar, and I've underlined that, to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he proceeded from there to the mountain east of, to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, I've underlined that, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and we'll talk about that. And there, once again, he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing on towards the Negev, towards the Negev. Abram here has this growing heart of worship, and I think this is why God loves Abram so much, is that he, he you, you notice that in the story, one of the things that he does is he will pitch his tent, but he builds an altar. When you build something, it implies that it's permanent. When you pitch something, it implies that it's temporary. And so it's suggested that he's made some decisions about investing in that which is permanent uh, as opposed to that which is temporary. So he will pitch his tent, but build his altar. So he knows which priority is permanent. Now this is very different than I think what we see in our generation. So I, I want you to write this down and let's talk about it. We tend to build our tents and pitch our altars. We, we live in a church culture and a church generation that tends to emphasize that which is very temporary. So how, how do you know? Well, I, I've been here, uh, we started the church 24 years ago. And it's very common uh, when somebody's serving the Lord in, in some capacity and, and that's their service to the Lord, but then their schedule gets very busy. And they'll come up and they'll say, you know, we're just so busy, our schedule's just so full. And you go, so what are you gonna let go of? And typically what happens is they say, well, I have to let go of my serving the Lord here at the church. Uh, that's the first thing that they let go of. Other times someone will say, you know, we're putting God first, but we've, we've in our finances, and, uh, but we've come to a little crunch. And what you notice is the first thing they give up is not something else, it's what they're giving to God. That's the first thing that goes. Now, this is not a, you people, that's not the heart. But, you know, we need to evaluate 
and ask ourselves, are we building our lives on that which is temporary or are we building our lives on that which is permanent? Are we pitching the altar but building our tents? And that's just something for us all to evaluate. Make sense? Verse 8, he says, um, then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram here is in what we would call the promised land. And there on your outline, it says he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Now, why does God want us to know that he's somewhere between Bethel and Ai? Well, very interesting. When you look at those words there in your outline, Bethel just means house of God, house of God. Ai, on the other hand, just means ruin or heap. So you get the sense here, and the Holy Spirit wants us to know he's somewhere between the house of God and ruin and heap. He's not fully over here in the house of God, but he's not fully over there in ruin and heap. And uh, we've all been there at times in our life, haven't we? I am the only one. So we've all been there. And it's interesting that the Holy Spirit just wants us to know that. So he's in the promised land, still in between two places. And uh, where's that going to lead? Well, verse 10, it says, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt. I've underlined that to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. This famine was severe in the land. So Abram, he's led into the promised land. He knows that God has led him. Uh, God has told him he would bless him. He's following the Lord, but now there's this famine in the land. And at the first sign of trouble, what we, what we find is Abram leaves the promised land and he heads down to Egypt. So let me put a picture up why it says down to Egypt. Egypt is always down from the promised land. It's always to the south. And we notice there in verse 10, there's a famine, but it doesn't say he prayed. It doesn't say he sought the Lord. It doesn't say he heard from the Lord. It just says there's a famine. So he goes down to Egypt. So here's what we get. You want to write this down. Abram is growing, but he's still making decisions based upon circumstances over what God said. Still making decisions based upon circumstances over what God said. Now also there in your outline, notice this little verse. It says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. They do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. In the Bible, Egypt always represents the world, always represents the world. And so it's always going down to Egypt. And here's what we find. Here's what we find that sometimes, and you want to write this down, it takes more faith to stay in the promised land than it does to go to the promised land. So here he is. He's in the promised land. He's followed the Lord, but at the first sign of trouble, he's gone. So maybe you're here today and uh, let's say you're a lady and you're single, you're saved, you're following the Lord, and uh, you're right where you know that God's called you to be. You're in fellowship with the Lord, you're in fellowship with other believers, but you don't want to stay single. You, you want to meet a man. But right now you're in the midst of what we might call a man famine. None of them around. <laughs> the temptation is to leave where God has you and to go back to the world and meet that person. 
it never works out. It never works out. Maybe you're here today. You're married. You prayed. You got married. You believe that God led you into this marriage. But right now in your relationship, there is a great famine going on in the midst of that relationship. And there's the temptation. The temptation is to leave this and go where God has not called you to be because you think it's going to be better down in Egypt. It's never better down in Egypt. I have in my notes, it's easier to get married than to stay married. Do you agree with that? I mean, I wouldn't say amen too loud, especially if you're sitting next to to your spouse. (laughs) A simple nod. (laughs) Unspoken. But if God has called you in a certain place, and right now in that place there's a famine, don't go back to the world to get your answer. It doesn't say that Abraham sought the Lord. He doesn't pray. He just sees and he goes. Now, if you know the story, and we'll get there, um, Abram's going to pick up somebody in Egypt. He's going to bring her back. And uh, we're still dealing with that situation today. And uh, so it, it doesn't work out. So a couple of lessons, I think, for Abram and us uh, when it comes to a famine. First of all, God's not surprised by the famine. You want to write that down. God called Abram into the promised land. He knew there was going to be a famine there. It's not a problem for God. Another thing that, that I think that God wants to teach Abram and us is that famines can't block God's blessings. God can bless in a famine. We'll actually see that in Genesis, 20, Genesis 26. But famines have a way, and you want to write this down, of teaching us that where God guides, God provides. You see, the only way that you can learn to trust the Lord is God has to allow you, has to allow us to be placed in situations where we have to trust the Lord. If we're not in situations where we have to trust the Lord, then all we have is good information. That's all we have. The only way you learn faith is you have to be in a situation where you actually have to trust the Lord. Well, Abram's not there just yet. There on your outline, here's what this decision reveals. That like many, he believes in God, but he doesn't actually believe God. He believes in God, but he doesn't actually believe God. God said, I will bless you. If God says, I will bless you, it could be the worst famine on, in the history of the world. It doesn't matter. God can bless in that. Abram's learning that. So the father of faith isn't doing so great at this point. The good news is that God's not finished with him as uh, he's not finished with us. And uh, what we're going to find is it actually gets worse before it gets better. So we're going to pick it up in verse 11. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. This is a good start. Verse 12, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will, and I've underlined, kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, I've underlined that, so that it, I love this, may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. So Abram says, listen, I need you to say this, um, at the end of this, I'll live, but whatever happens to you. Oh, well, the thing is, I, I, I get to live. That's where he's at. So let me just ask a question. Ladies, is Abraham being a jerk here, would you think? <laughs> kind of a jerk, yeah. So would you be done with Abraham at this point? Pretty much. 
Well, we're actually going to talk about that in a, in a few chapters. But here's what we see in Abram's life, and it's very important for us. We're going to find that small compromises lead to big compromises. You see, God said, follow me, but Abraham followed Terah, his father, Delay. God said, leave your relatives, but Abram takes along Lot. God leads Abraham into the promised land, but there's a famine, so he leaves. Now he's asking his wife to compromise and say that she is his sister. Now, she is his half-sister, but it's a compromise. Verse 14, it came about when Abram came to Egypt that the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Now, in, in the Middle East, uh, part of what Abram says is true. He has a genuine concern. They might see him as the husband, kill him and take her. But the Middle East is kind of funny. And, and some of the traditions go back for thousands of years. If Sarai is uh, the sister then instead of killing the brother, they would have to negotiate with the brother, the dowry, in order to get her to go into Pharaoh's house. So apparently, which makes Abraham even more creepy, is he negotiates and he gets the cattle, the donkeys, and the camels, and everything that goes, goes with it. So she goes into Pharaoh's castle. And I, I've personally always wondered, was this at all a temptation for Sarah? I mean, when you think about it, she's been living in a tent, now she's in a house. Uh, you know, when you're in a house, a palace, you don't have to tear down and set up every time you move, you're just, you're just kind of there. She's probably had a bath, and uh, Abraham probably hasn't had a bath in a while. Pharaoh, I would guess, smells good, and uh, he's probably good looking. Some suggest that apparently he looks a lot like Yul Brynner, but that's... <laughs> Some more recent scholarship holds that. But so anyways, was it a temptation for her? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, at this point, though, what we do know is that God intervenes. Verse 17, the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. God protects her. And we'll talk about that more in a few chapters. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. I love verse 20. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. I love that because uh, Pharaoh realizes what he's done, and he sends his army to get Abram back out of the country. So go ahead and write this down. Abram's compromise is going to make him look bad before unbelievers. We would say Abram's really blown his testimony. He's really blown his testimony. But the good news is even though he's blown his testimony at this point, God's not finished with Abram, just like he's not finished with you in the times when you've blown your testimony in front of unbelievers. So what does Abram do? Well, I'm going to read the first four verses of chapter 13 as we close. And it says, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged with him, 
Lot with him. We'll talk about that next week. And Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. And he went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel, house of God, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. What Abram gets right is when he's blown his testimony in front of unbelievers. And he doesn't just blow his testimony in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh sends his army to get this guy out of the country. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. What he knows is to come back to the place where God was moving in his life before. So he comes back to Bethel, the house of God. Next week, when we pick it up there, here's what we're going to find. Write this down. He goes down to Egypt as a believer, but he's going to come back spiritual. God is going to use this situation in his life to change him. So did you find that interesting today? So you can can plot. (laughs) So as as we wrap this up, I just want to say a few things. And uh, we're going to close in a few minutes, and we're going to have some prayer partners down in the front. If uh, you'd like to, to come down and uh, be prayed for, pray with somebody. But maybe today, as we went through this, it's not that I revealed anything, but as we went through this, we talked about a relationship. And there's a relationship that God has called you to end. And you know, and again, it's not your spouse but it's a relationship that you know, it's holding you back. It's a big delay in your life. And, and it's leaving you spiritually parched. And, and God's called you to let go of that. But you haven't. You haven't. And you want to do that today. Or maybe it's a relationship like Lot, where you're holding on because you think, I, I can't let them go. They need me. And uh, not realizing that the reason that God's calling you to let them go is because he sees the future but, but you don't see the future. Or maybe you're in a situation right now and you've come to the place where God wants you to be, but in your life, it's a famine. It's a famine. And everything inside of you wants to leave where God has called you to be and run to the world and deep in your spirit, you know, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. As we close today, you have the opportunity to make some decisions. As I say in church I grew up with, we used to say, you gotta do some business with God, which meant that you just had to get right. And uh, maybe today you're somebody, and the truth is you've blown your testimony and everybody knows, everybody knows. And you wonder, what do I do? Well, you run back to Bethel, the house of God, the place where God was working in your life before. And maybe today, definitely today is the day that you make that decision. So what I'm going to do, and uh, write this one last thing down on your outline, the good news is that God never gives up on Abraham or me, or me. So no matter what mess, God has not given up. But you don't want to go forward today without doing that business with God and taking care of it. I'm going to pray, and then after the service, there's going to be some prayer partners standing in the front. They would love to pray with you. Join me in praying.
Father, as we wrap this up today, Lord, there's so many of us who are in our journey, growing in faith. We're like Abram. We've not separated from some relationships that you've called us to separate from. It's a big delay in our life. It's leaving us parched. We're holding on to people because we think that if we let them go, even though you're telling us we have to let them go, we're saying, Lord, what what will become of them? But we realize that you know the future and you can take care of them. For some of us, we're in a famine in some area of our life and we want to run back to the world even though we know we're in the place that you've called us to be. And for some of us, Father, we've just blown our testimony and everybody knows. And we're embarrassed, we're humiliated, but today we're coming back to Bethel, the house of God. And so we make decisions today about direction who we're going to be, where we're going to go, how we're going to live. And for some of us here today, we've never made the decision just to begin following you. And so we make that decision today and we say, Jesus, come into my life. Thank you for forgiving me of everything I've ever done. I wanna follow you. I want you in my life. And he promises that if you pray that, you invite him in, he'll never leave. And you'll never regret that decision. Father, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for their love for you, their love for your word, their love for your spirit and the things of God. And I pray, God, that you keep each and every one of us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.